Welcome to Why I Quit, a show that covers real people quitting their nine to five jobs in search of something different. Listen to inspiring conversations where we dive deep into the stories of why people quit their jobs, what were the hardest parts, where are they now, and any advice for people following the same path. I am so excited to introduce Brian Gaudio as this week's guest on Why I Quit. Listen as Brian discusses how he fell in love with architecture from a young age, but never wanted to work for a corporate firm. Learn as he discusses how filming a documentary in South America and completing a Fulbright Fellowship in the Dominican Republic inspired him to start his own company called Module, based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Get inspired hearing about his mission to tackle big issues by using design to create new jobs and more affordable housing in cities across the country. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's great to be here. Do you mind starting off and tell me a little bit about your background of where you come from and, and your education? Sure. So my background, I'm trained as an architect and I'm from the Pittsburgh area. Grew up in the South Hills of Pittsburgh originally. You know, as a kid, I loved playing with Legos and I had this fascination with Frank Lloyd Wright. There's this famous home called Falling Water in the Pittsburgh area. Went there as a kid and I was like, I want to become an architect. So from then on, I did everything I could in my power to learn about design, architecture. I ended up going to architecture school at North Carolina State University in Raleigh. You know, my passion was always how do we bring good design to more people? So that's what I was really curious about. You know, was your anticipation that you kind of assumed you would go into a corporate role in the architecture field afterwards, or did you have uh, other ideas along the way when you were in college as well? So I quit architecture before I even got to my, <laughs> before I even got to the profession almost, right? I think my perceptions of what it was and then seeing, you know, going to school and getting some, you know, exposure to the profession, I realized that I was never going to work for the corporate firm. I just found that that path wasn't going to be for me. So in school, I was doing all of these kind of non-traditional design internships or other things. So in school, I had started a nonprofit organization that did community development and community-based research. So we traveled down to the Dominican Republic. So we get a research grant from our university to go see how these kind of rural parts of the Dominican Republic, learn about them, learn about what community development projects are happening and, and how their neighborhoods are growing or changing. So I was doing some of that work. I also did a stint working at Walt Disney Imagineering. So they designed the Disney theme parks, other end of the spectrum. What new cool things can we bring to the Disney parks in five years? So those were the other. So I was never the one who was going to go work in an architecture firm and design buildings. The problem that I saw was in school, we learned about how important design is like, oh, design is the most important thing. And then when I heard from you know, some of the alumni in the real world, they're like, oh, well, the developer, whoever has the money, they tell us what to do and we just do it. We draw it. And I didn't like that. So that's why I knew that going into the profession at, in traditional form wasn't for me. And did you look at these internships as trying out, you know, different avenues into design to kind of figure out what you wanted to do, or did you have any goals of eventually starting your own thing, or what did that look like? A couple of things. One, I went on a service trip in high school, which was, you know, as a kid from the suburbs outside of Pittsburgh, you know, going to a foreign country, it was an eye-opener, right? As I had no idea the bubble that I lived in, right? So that was certainly eye-opening. 
And I always thought that impactful work, right, whether it's working in areas of deep need, was completely separate from my interest in design and designing beautiful things in architecture. So I think going into college, I didn't, I assumed that those were two separate passions. But then in college, I started to, to you know, do the work in the Dominican Republic where we do research and design, urban design research in some of these areas. And I started working with a couple of professors who started basically, they call it public interest design practices. So design firms that were working specifically with vulnerable populations. And I was like, that's really cool. I want to use my skills as a designer to make the world a better place. So that's what started my brain thinking about how do I leverage my skills as a trained architect to work on some of the problems that architecture can address, which is, you know, how to create better cities, how to create more affordable housing. So those were the issues that my skill set being trained as an architect could start to address. And I started a couple of different projects in school and then slowly finishing school that helped me explore those. Tell me a little bit about your first job after school. What did that, what did that look like? And was that for yourself or were you working for someone else? So my first job, this is a little bit complicated. There's three parallel stories in parallel here, okay? So graduating from college, a friend and I got a research grant from our university. And the grant was to go study architecture anywhere in the world as a traveling fellowship. So somebody who made a lot of money as an architect said, I want to give back to my university and give a traveling fellowship. So they gave a couple thousand dollars and they would select one person every year who, you know, you'd apply, here's where I want to go do, and they would, you know, fund your, basically your trip. So a friend and I applied for that and we won that grant, the Duda Traveling Fellowship. And we were going to go to South America to study how architects were working in some of these informal parts of the city. So like you heard the term favelas outside of Rio. Um, we were going to those places where there's some really interesting design interventions happening, new ways to build housing. And we were going to make a film about our, our trip, a documentary film. So when I was applying for jobs, I said, hey, everybody, I'd love to work for you, but I'm going to take a six-week trip to go to South America because we're filming this documentary. Just letting you know, don't worry, I won't quit my job when I get there. You know, that's what's going to happen. So I ended up, my first job out of school was actually at a nonprofit architecture firm in Biloxi, Mississippi. So they started after Hurricane Katrina when, you know, Biloxi is close to New Orleans. And so New Orleans got hit. Biloxi also got hit and they were decimated. So this firm started to help rebuild. They used a lot of FEMA funds to help rebuild some of these communities. So it, was a, it aligned with my values. And, you know, I'd seen them present at a bunch of conferences. So that was my job right out of school. Three months in, I think, to my job or four months in, I went to go take that six-week trip. And while I was on the trip, I got a call from this Washington, D.C. number. I'm like, who is that? And it was the State Department. And they said, Brian, you know, you had applied for a Fulbright scholarship a year ago. And the person who we gave it to, they bailed. So if you want it, it's yours. But you got to tell us by the end of the week. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, something I couldn't pass up. I had moved on, you know, we, I'd applied and moved on with my life. And so I had to call my boss like four months into the job from a foreign country telling him I'm quitting. That was my first why I quit my job story. How but hard they, was that conversation for you? Honestly, it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. He was super supportive. I mean, that the, his name's David Perks, Gulf Coast Community Design Studio. Their goal and their work, they're based in Biloxi, but they're trying to help support young architect designers to do great work. 
to work in vulnerable, you know, populations. So their goal is to bring people in, foster them, and then help them grow. And, you know, maybe they start their own firm. So they were very, he was incredibly supportive. And I went back and worked for another several months, finished out the year, and then took the, you know, took the, the, the Fulbright opportunity. So it was not as stressful as I made it out to be in my mind in anticipation. Tell me about the Fulbright experience. Uh, where did you go and how was that for you? So that was very entrepreneurial. Like I love starting new things, doing something for the first time. You always learn so much, right? Anytime you do it for the first time, it's the biggest learning curve. So I love that. I love going from zero to one. I think that's really fun process. So for the Fulbright program, I was in the Dominican Republic at a university and we were doing research on green infrastructure and urban planning. So after all these hurricanes hit the Dominican Republic and these tropical storms, cities flood and they don't have the same flood protection that we do in the United States. Basically the lowest income part of the city, that's who lives along the river. So their homes get wiped away. So the research was about, okay, how could we better prepare these areas for when floods happen? So that was the work. There was basically zero direction. So they say, here's, here's a stipend, here's your university, go and see you in 10 months. So it was definitely very self-directed work and it was kind of a choose your own adventure. So that was both freeing and challenging all at the same time. And in terms of those 10 months for you, did that lead to your next opportunity, you know, or, you know, kind of like what was the impact of, of that experience on kind of where you went forward from there? What was fun about that, I got to work with students from their architecture school and some of the same things that my professors were teaching me, I was bringing that lens to my work. So it was like, how can an architecture school be an asset for the community? How can these smart, talented people help work on problems in their cities? So I got a team of, I don't know, six to 10 students who said, hey, we're going to participate in your research project. And they were like my research team. So that was really fun and really rewarding to work with them on this project together. And I think being in the Dominican Republic was just a different beat, a different pace than the United States. So just like a lot slower, more relaxed, you know, environment. So it had, it allowed me to get my wheels turning about, cause I wasn't going to live there after that. So it was kind of, I had a job, I quit the job to do this thing. There was only 10 months. I knew I was going to be moving back to the U S I was like, I could go back to my old job at Biloxi, but I think I want to start something of my own. So I was able in my spare time to talk to some of my friends who were entrepreneurs, see how their lives were going in this entrepreneurial journey listen to a couple of podcasts. Those are dangerous, right? Uh, I think it was called Startup by Gimlet Media. That first season, it grabbed my attention. I was like, whoa, you know, I was thinking through ideas. And when I moved back to Pittsburgh, that was in like November of 2015, I had worked for a nonprofit, albeit very short, in Biloxi, Mississippi. So saw how like a nonprofit architecture firm was attacking the problem of how do we provide better housing, better design. A little bit of experience with the State Department, so the U.S. government, right? How are they thinking about government solutions to this problem? And then that documentary, I talked to a lot of architecture firms through that film to see the, the lens they were taking. So I was like, all right, I know I want to work on that problem, but I want to take a different approach. How could we make impact faster? So instead of starting an architecture practice or a nonprofit, what if we create a startup? And that startup could scale more quickly than, you know, your average small business. Maybe then we could attack this problem more expediently. So when I moved back to Pittsburgh, 
called up some of my friends and said, you know, I want to start this company. Do you want to, do you want to be a part of it? We're going to create better housing solutions in the U.S. And I wanted to move back to Pittsburgh as my hometown because I care about the city of Pittsburgh where I'm from. So I'm like, if I'm going to, my company's going to try to make cities better, might as well make it my hometown. A common theme that we talk a lot about on this show is the first year of starting your own business. There's always the expectation versus reality. Talk to me a little bit about that first year. You know, what was hard about it? What went well? What did that look like for you? First year. So I guess that would be 2016. I moved back to Pittsburgh. I didn't really have a network. Like in, in North Carolina, I had a network from, you know, being at school there. So I really didn't have a network other than my high school buddies played on the softball team with me, you know, post-graduation, right? They had a softball league. And that was my network. So I reached out to my old shop teacher because he had these 3D printers in there. And I was like, I want to, can I use the shop? I need to make some models of what I want to do. Because that's, as an architect, that's how you're trained to think. you got to make physical models and show people what you want to do. So I asked him, he said, come on in. You know, we, we have the program where they let community members use the shop. So I went there. Then I go to the local library to use the Wi-Fi. And I moved back in with my parents. Like, I was living in the Dominican Republic in my own apartment, you know, in a foreign country. To moving into your, your old childhood bedroom, working out of the basement. So that was a change of pace for sure. I worked part-time at an architecture firm to try to at least get some money in the door. So I did that part-time a little bit and then just started trying to go to as many startup events as I could to try to learn how that, what is this whole thing of a startup company? What resources are in Pittsburgh that can help startups start and grow? So I just started going to those events. So it was not glamorous at all. And I don't think it still is not glamorous, but I remember the very first pitch competition that we did, it was Duquesne University was at the local university here in Pittsburgh. And we've had our pitch, which was at the time, the idea for module was start small and add on build, start, build a starter house. And then we had designed, we had patented a roof where you could pop the roof off, add a story like a Lego block and put it back on. So if you start small, have kids, you can start and grow your house grows as your family grows. Super cool idea. So we pitched it at this pitch competition. I remember we won the first place prize and it was $500 and we were like, oh my God, we have so, like, how are we going to, how do you want to split this money up? Like, what are we going to do? So I still remember that moment and like realizing, well, the model cost like 70 bucks. So I still remember that moment. That was like the first win in our sales in 2016, but we really had nothing more than idea and I don't know, naivete. Was there a specific moment along that journey where, you know, you really had the feeling like we're onto something, this can be a big business where you felt like more stabilized with it um, in that startup phase? Honestly, I think we learned that what we were trying to do is a big problem, right? I mean, you home prices are going up and they're not coming down anytime soon, it seems, right? So we have a lack of housing in the United States. We need to build a lot more housing. We need to build it faster and we need to build better quality homes and what's being done. So the problem is not going away, but that's a big problem. And that takes a lot of money. Like if you're thinking about, okay, you're going to start a company that makes phone cases, right? Okay. How much does it cost to make a prototype of a phone case? You know, it might cost you a hundred to 200 bucks, but what if your, your product is a house? The house is the most expensive purchase that anyone makes in their entire life. And the cost of prototyping a house is pretty darn expensive. 
So I think one of the challenges we had is a lot of the startup incubator programs are tailored for software companies or a hardware device, you know, a consumer device. And so when you're working on a problem that is as big of a, it's like the biggest consumer product you could ever have, it's a lot more money to get off the ground and get started. So long story short, it took years for us to get our first customer and build them a house because that's a lot of risk for them to take on a startup company of a guy who lives in his parents' house and who has, you know, a shoebox full of architecture models. I think the, the moment we thought we had something is when we delivered our first development project, and that was in 2020, where we consumers bought our homes. We built them, put them on the market, and people bought them, and they liked them. That was probably the first time we were like, okay, we can do this. That took four years. Tell me a little bit about how you thought about building and growing the company. I know it sounds like you didn't have a whole lot of corporate experience, so tell me a little bit about, like, what were some of the things you like prioritized and focused on when hiring people and kind of growing out the team? And how did you think about building the team? So at the beginning, I have two co-founders, Hallie Dumont, Drew Brisley. It was about trust. First, do I trust this person? Do they care about the same goal? Bring good design to more people. So I think a, a business relationship is like a marriage in that it's not like a, a colleague where you're like, oh, hey, hey, Jim. Hey, Jill. You know, how are the kids, it's like, you're going to be up at 2 a.m. with this person and sleep deprived, and you're working on this thing that you jointly are, are bringing into the world. So trust was number one. So one of my co-founders, Drew, I'd known since college. So now we've known each other over 10 years. So I trust Drew. He also has, he's an industrial designer, a product designer. And so that was kind of step A. Step B was Hallie Dumont who she has a degree in design, but she was actually working in construction. So she had actual real knowledge in construction, swinging a hammer, and she was designing this tiny house project. And we had kind of crossed paths through the local design and construction community here. And she could actually build, she built our first prototype. So she built this thing because we didn't have the money for a full house. We built this like mobile home office thing. It was like 200 square feet and we could truck it around the city. So Hallie actually built that. As we've grown our team since then, you know, our, our goal is to build thousands of homes around the country that can provide high quality housing, workforce development, affordable and market rate housing that can be built in a factory, top 1% of energy efficiency, and it's built 40% faster because it's built in a factory. So that's our goal is like, let's take a chunk out of this housing crisis. But that's, again, that's a national problem. It's a very complex problem. So to get there is going to take a lot of time. And so we had to find investors to support our company until we reach profitability. So we're not yet a profitable company. We've had to find the right kinds of investors who want to see the change in the industry that we're going to be bringing about, and they can see it. They're patient. They can see that there's a long-term opportunity where not only will, there, will they be able to make money, but they'll be able to have an impact. So that's how we've sustained ourselves is by selling parts of the company. We started with 100% ownership and we sold parts of the company to investors who care about that mission. There's a lot of people out there listening to this who are thinking about quitting their job or thinking about potentially starting a business. You know, is there a specific piece of advice or like something along the way that was super helpful for you as, you know, you made the leap to quit your job and jump in and start a new business? I think you have to believe in what you're building, number one, because if you don't believe it, then how the hell are you gonna sell anybody? 
on it if you don't believe it inside. So I think it should be something that motivates you. And then two, you have to be able to hear no a lot. Depending on the type of business, whether it's a small business and you're talking to a bank, you're going to hear no, 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 right? Before you hear yes. So that would be something to be prepared for is at least if you're trying to get a bank loan or investors, people are risk averse, generally speaking. And you starting a company are incredibly risky, right? So it's about slowly de-risking that over time. Not being discouraged by hearing no is something that every entrepreneur has to just have a thick skin in that regard. Going to the personal side a little bit, you know, something we talk a lot about is you know, really like the work-life balance. And especially as you're starting a business, you know, how do you think about that and what does that look like for you? So I think there's a problem in the startup, not necessarily small business, but in the startup industry, there's a problem. And I was a perpetuator of that problem and probably still am in that what we're doing, bringing better quality housing for people is, is really important. But I think a lot of startup founders, including myself, threw ourselves in head and feet first into building the company. And we ate last, right? As the founder, we eat last at the table. And you put so much time, effort into it that you forget about other parts of your life. They just kind of become secondary. And achieving this goal, you know, you hear about the number of hours that people put in probably on, you know, podcasts or Twitter or whatever. It's easy to get caught up in that, right? Because it's this, it's your baby, right? It's your idea. And you want so hard to make it work. So I think that work-life balance, I failed at that for the first at least four years of running the business. I've been better. So my, my girlfriend, she would see it. She would you know, push me, which was great. Push me to invest more time in your health and your in sleep and in just you know, non-startup related things because it can be all consuming. So I think it has to be something that you actively work on because the business has a gravitational pull and it's just going to suck you back in. And I was someone who didn't have a family when I started my company. Many people who have families, right? They have a little bit more perspective perhaps that, you know, there's something bigger than this thing that they're building, right? So I'd say I've struggled with that. Wrapping this up, we always ask the same last question of what are you most excited about over the next three to five years? Now that we've kind of survived through this startup phase, if you will, now we can actually start making some of the impact that we wanted to make. So we can pick partners. So we're working with, so our goal in the next three to five years is to open a factory, our own factory in the Pittsburgh area that can build our brand of homes. Currently we contract manufacture with existing factories. We can open our own factory that can create jobs and build affordable housing that's needed. And that's pretty exciting because that checks a lot of boxes. So that project and some of the partners we're bringing in to work on that is, is pretty exciting. For people out there that are interested in what you do, do you want to give a quick elevator pitch and the easiest way to contact you? Sure. Easiest way to contact me is my email, brian at modulehousing.com, or you can go to modulehousing.com. And what we do is we are creating a better way to build new housing in cities. So our homes are beautiful, they're sustainably built, and they can be delivered 40% faster than traditional means of construction. So our goal is to help alleviate the housing crisis by bringing more new homes to the market that are built in a factory, our brand of homes, 
and that people, the average people in the street can buy those homes. So that's our goal. Thank you so much. I'm excited to see where you take it. I, I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot to us. We want to hear from you as we keep growing. Please reach out on whyquit.co if you have any feedback or potential guests. A special thanks to Chris Dole for the music. Please check out his newest album, Here's to You, on Spotify. Thank you, and we will be back next week with another episode.